Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, Content Marketing Manager with ClearanceJobs.com. And today, I'm so stoked for our guest. She is totally kick-ass. She started as a community college student, literally have no idea what she wanted to be when she grew up. Aisha Bow. she embarked on a career journey as a NASA scientist. Now she owns her own company, STEM Board, and she even tries to get the next generation of talent excited about STEM careers through Lingo, which we'll also dive into in a little bit. And so your career is just amazing to me and my little dint in what I've done. But first, I just wanted to thank you for joining the podcast today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, so I thought that we we have some exciting things to talk about today, but I thought how it started versus how it's going. I think it helps for this next generation of talent to hear about these journeys that people go through into this incredible career that you have today. So let's look back and just tell us a little bit about what initially interested you in engineering careers and kind of the non-traditional way that you got there. I love this question because... I was completely and totally disinterested in engineering and the word STEM had not yet been invented. So to me, it was just math and a lot of things that had to do with math, which I was pretty convinced that I couldn't do. As a high school student, I wasn't a National Honor Society member. I wasn't thinking I wanted to go into any field other than business, international business, because that meant that I could travel while I was doing business. And so I wasn't thinking okay, I'm going to be serious about applying to college. I just wanted to get a certification or something that would allow me to not have to live with my parents for the rest of my life, right? Shout out to anybody who had that goal. From that point, I started to really explore why I didn't dream and why I didn't believe in myself, like many of us often do. And I started to say, you know, I, I actually think that maybe I could do more than just escape the clutches of my parental home. And that really set about a journey where I ended up, you know, going to University of Michigan. I ended up studying aerospace because literally A is at the top of the engineering list. And I wanted a career that I felt would be badass. And I'm like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, do it, right? No half-stepping. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to be a cool engineer. And that was aerospace, A for aerospace. And from there, my career took off, right? No pun intended, but it really launched me into this trajectory of why do I do the things that I do? Why do I think there are things that I cannot do? And can I really just set about changing how I think about the world and how others view what they're capable of doing in their lives? Sure. Well, so I know that engineers or mathematicians, I mean, you spoke to math and how STEM wasn't necessarily even even a term, a commonplace term yet. Are you one of those individuals that was just really good at math, but you found, because I, I know that we're going to talk a little bit about what you've done more recently, which isn't directly engineering. So do you actually love doing math or do you just, are you just really good at it? I am capable of mathing under the influence of adult beverages. That is my claim to fame. Okay. And so what happened was, like all good stories, 
I ended up taking a Calc 2 test and I may or may not have been with all my faculties at the time. And I mean, we're in college, right? Many of us have shown up to college classes uh, freshly rolling the previous day into the current day. It happens. It happens. And I took this uh, Calc 2 exam and my teacher was just like, uh, I don't know what's going on with you because your teachers are always so super serious. Like, how dare you not take this seriously? I'm like, this is just another day in community college. But I aced the exam. And there was this awkward moment of acknowledgement from my professor who was just like, here's your exam. And me taking the exam and being like, oh, I got 100. I'm just going to sleep this off. Thank you. And when I did that, I was like, well, Bo, yeah, you know, (laughs) I guess I, I guess there might be more to you than you think. But I didn't have mentorship. I didn't have guidance. I didn't have direction. I wasn't like, wow, right? The clouds didn't part. A ray of sunshine didn't come down and beam on me and go, you're going to be an aerospace engineer. It was more of like, hey, you just did something that people classically think of as challenging and you did it with ease. And maybe if you stopped being so anxious about every darn thing you did in life, that you could perform. I think that was the takeaway because I spent a lot of time having anxiety around testing and anxiety around pretty much existing because I was so concerned that I wasn't going to do it right. But in that state of relaxation, I just performed. And for me, that was the, that was the moment. That was the clue that I needed to relax and do, let everything else do what it do. Sure. I mean, I'm no stranger to it. I, I've, now I work in content and editorial, but I didn't start here. So, you know, a good, a good old glass of red wine while I'm, you know, ginning up an article, it t- totally resonates with me. And so you speak to this like self-talk and I know imposter syndrome is another kind of buzzword with females in the national security space, and I'm sure in engineering as well. So let's dive into those issues. I mean, you talk about the state of relaxation that you kind of came to, but how, how else did you work through some of that negative self-talk that you experienced? I want to be the first to say that it is a continuous practice, because even to this day, I still deal with automatic negative thoughts, right? Like I'll wake up and have a large day ahead of me. And the first thing I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. And then I'm like, wait a second, you can do it. Why do you think you can't do it? Right. It's it's this constant debate mentally where I have to train my mind to be positive, to be in positive environment and to make sure that I reaffirm how I think and how I feel on a reoccurring basis. But if we go back to college me, once I started to relax and, you know, I, this is not, um, I don't want people out there to think that this is like an advertisement for drinking. It was college and I was having fun, but it was this idea of like, okay, well, are there other ways that you can relax yoga, mindfulness, exercise, because the performance issue that you were facing, right? This is me talking to me was not actually tied to my ability. It was tied to my anxiety. And if I could get that under control, if I could get my mind under control, then I could perform. 
And that really allowed me to take advantage of a lot of tools and techniques that I use now to manage the imposter syndrome, because I felt that way for, for many years, from my college years to my work years at NASA to even running the company. I'm like, well, I just am calling myself the CEO because I created the company. And today I'm like, no, I'm calling myself the CEO because I am a CEO, right? But it took me several years to really work on me, to work on how I thought, how I felt, and why I felt in order to create positive thoughts that were affirming and step out of that imposter syndrome. Sure. Well, and with how sort of quickly we move as a society today, you speak to mindfulness and sort of meditating and taking a moment and stepping away and really sort of thinking through positive thoughts. I think that's something that a lot of people should do, myself included. And after, you know, your community college years, when you were going through that list, that alphabetical list of engineering careers, and you saw A, aerospace, all right, that's what we're doing. How about for maybe our younger audience entering the workforce who are interested in security clearance careers or engineering careers, but maybe are experiencing some of that anxiety when you're pivoting in life or you're doing something new or outside your comfort zone. So what kind of minds, but what kind of people, what kind of traits fit in well with engineering careers in your opinion that you could speak to? I think that resilience and the uh, the ability to rationally like analyze the situation. So even though I was not early on focused on engineering, a lot of that was a byproduct of my environment. I wasn't raised by people who were engineers. At fun fact, my dad actually ended up going back to school and getting an electrical engineering degree at 40. And he got his undergrad before I got my undergrad. I got my master's in engineering before he got his master's in engineering. And now he just finished an MBA and is thinking about a PhD, right? So I grew up in this environment where my family and my parents were just trying to find themselves. And so it was very difficult for them to do that and shape me at the same time, right? I think for those who have environments where they have a mentor or a teacher or a parent and they know what it is that they want to do, there's a lot of pressure on doing well in high school, doing well in college. But I'll tell you from where I'm at right now, all the things that I thought that went wrong actually went right. And it was my ability to be resilient in the situations that caused me the most pain that allowed me to grow. And I think that there's this, you know, this, this concept of failure and I, I, I want to tell you it doesn't really exist. You never fail, you learn. And so for people who are entering the career field, engineering now has become not only multidisciplinary, but it is a diverse and inclusive career, more so than I think it, it's been at any other point in time in history. And so it's possible to come in and engineer solutions and maybe not come from a traditional background because often the people who see things with new eyes are those who have not been classically trained. So wherever you are, be open to the experience and be confident that your background is the right background, right? There is no one right background for the field. And no single type of mind or the way your brain works. I mean, 
And you speak to failure. And I think that's also along with some of these fields becoming more diverse and inclusive and attracting different types of backgrounds to these careers is so important. And that's the other sort of mindset or perception that's changed is failure is not always a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. I mean, especially now that I'm a a new-ish mother, failure is necessary for people to learn. It is. And, you know, I I joke with students that I, I lecture on occasion. I'm a guest lecturer for the aerospace program, and I also mentor students who are engineers who are matriculating into their environments in corporate America. And I'm like, look, when was the last time you got an A and had a postmortem and went back and were like, how could I have gotten a better A? We don't do that. We don't do that. But if you come up short in some way, if you are criticized constructively, oh, you're going to go home and you're going to think about it. It's going to burn you a little bit. You're going to strategize. And you will come back better and stronger than ever. So one of the things that I think has been the hallmark of my success of my career is feeling the fear and feeling that little bit of pain and pushing through and getting better anyway, right? Like understanding that, okay, what happened may have been perceived at the time to be a setback or may have felt to me like a painful experience, but that is not something that I should allow to persist. I've got to push through it and put it in a positive place because starting a business is hard. Beginning a career, it's hard, but that doesn't mean that you can't be successful in it. It's usually a sign that you're on the right track. Yeah. Great words of encouragement, especially as I think of my lifetime, all my failures, but sort of, you know, after college and, Gaining some of that confidence that is, you know, oozing from your words, were you at all intimidated when you started to work with some of the talented folks over at NASA? I mean, including yourself. I was shaking like a leaf. My goodness. Yeah. (laughs) How could I? I mean, these are people who can look at an airplane and write down the equations by hand on a piece of paper. I'm like, what? Wow. Every day I went to work and there was somebody who was the industry-leading expert that was world-renowned, that was award-winning, and then there was me, right? Little old me, new in my career. I never felt like I measured up. And for the first three years, I ran myself ragged trying to overproduce and overperform until I started to say, why am I spending so much time questioning me when I need to be questioning you? Because oftentimes these organizations and these systems do what's comfortable. It's like energy, right? They're at this really comfortable equilibrium. And then you have someone like me that comes in and is like, but you only designed this for one segment of the population, right? You didn't design it for all. Or, oh, you've always been giving PowerPoint presentations. Why don't you use iPads? And I know that seems really simple, but... You know, 10 plus years ago, when I was a junior engineer at NASA, that wasn't something that was being used to communicate what was being done by our higher ups because they were so used to using PowerPoint. And, you know, we see this across all of government, this push to modernize, to be able to use data and to to be able to give people hands on exposure to things that we know and we do so they can be excited by it, so they can be inspired and so they can interact. 
And so the imposter syndrome that I felt started to go away when one, I didn't require the environment to validate me. I validated myself. And two, I started to understand that the beauty of having me in the organization was that I was not classically trained to think about things the way that other people did. And as a result, the organization was better and it could mentor me and the people in the organization could be mentored by me to become better. Absolutely. And so, you know, mentoring, I think, is is a big theme across this conversation, getting Gen Z and other generations excited about this kind of stuff, because it does need to be modernized. I mean, there are some systems that were built in the 80s that people are still using today across the government. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, we got to we got to revamp and we need new and different minds to do that. And so I know that when you were at NASA, you were you were doing some technical work, but you also got into the education and communications element of it, working with kids in schools. And what motivated you to pivot and then, you know, eventually to starting your own business? I was motivated by my personal journey, I wasn't the student who saw a career in engineering from high school. And once I started engineering, I loved it. I love what I do. I think it is the coolest, most fun job in the world. And it's not just the engineering, it's all of the things, right? I get to work on cool projects. I get to work with cool customers. I get to support Department of Defense. I get to be part of the queer community. I get to travel the world and talk about education and entrepreneurship in partnership with the State Department and all because I dared to take a few extra math classes and think that I could be an engineer or somebody in technology. And I want other people to have that experience. And so when I got involved in the community, I went out and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take responsibility for inviting students in. And I want them to see what we have here on site. And they would get to come in and they would see a world-class simulator that was an ATC tower. They would see the largest wind tunnel in the world. They would see Black Hawk helicopters on the tarmac. And the kids' minds would be like, wait, what? So you mean to tell me that I have to struggle through four years of high school and four years of college and then I get to do this forever? I am in. And those students started graduating and declaring engineering majors at Berkeley, at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And I was like, I'm hooked, right? If what you're telling me is that I can be part of the difference, that if I just show up and show you what we do, you you and your life will change, then I'm sold. And I and that's something that I want to project to the entirety of the community because, you know, we may work on a lot of things that we can't talk about, but there are some things that we can. And it's even a field trip to the, you know, the Air and Space Museum or to an environment where you can really break down how something works will blow a kid's mind and inspire them to become part of an industry and, you know, a a sector that we love so much. And it's a problem with, I think, the security cleared community right now. I mean, we, we have a good amount of cleared folks but not all of them are using their clearance. And so we need to, to make sure for recruitment and retention purposes that, that we have the bright minds 
and, you know, blow their minds, so to speak, when they're young to get them excited when they do eventually enter the workforce that that we have the important people in place to help us do all these cool things. And so you kind of, you have this with lingo. And so I'm speaking to the importance of getting the next generation excited about cleared engineering careers. So tell us more about lingo. For everyone listening who doesn't know, it's a coding kit that Aisha created. And really talk to why it's important to make this kind of tech accessible to more kids and teens. I love the question because I... I have been in that position so many times of wanting to be able to talk about what it was that I did and I couldn't do it. And one of the things that I, from an aerospace background, pre-lingo, was to look at examples of things that have been declassified and point to them. And one of my favorite examples is like the SR-71, the Blackbird. I love that plane. When you look at the declassified stats around that, and you can see them at various museums around, um, you know, around the country. I would literally go to students and go, do you realize that that plane in literally, you know, like the 60s and the 70s operated at Mach 3.3? And their minds would be blown, right? And it could reach like 85,000 feet. And I'm, and I'm like, imagine now the things that are out there that we can't talk about. And you could just see the like the wheels in the mind whirring, right? Because like there are so many really cool examples of things that have now been declassified that you could point to and just be like, okay, but what we're doing and what we're dealing with is better, right? But if you just kind of get cleared and if you just kind of come, you know, come behind the veil, so to speak, you can do and learn more cool things. And so with Lingo, I wanted to bring hardware-based education to high schoolers because I've always loved hardware. When I started out in aerospace in college, I was bummed out because we were designing aircraft on, on napkins. I'm like, what am I going to do? Fly a napkin? No, I want to actually put together a satellite. And so I went into nanosats and the nanosats, you know, we had these small one U cube sats and they were like little baby Sputniks, like they would blink and light. And right there we were building hardware and we could see it. And it was so fascinating to me that I'm like, well, if I can just bring electronics to high schoolers and allow them to put together things that maybe that could kind of transform their minds. And that's what happened. And so in the pandemic, I took my team of engineers who were all cleared and who were working on Department of Defense programs. And with our extended home time, because we were all you know, sheltering in place, I said, why don't we put together content and curriculum that could meet two purposes. One, it could be taught in classrooms, so it aligned to national learning standards, but that also could expose students to DOD mission sets and things that they just needed to know in emerging tech areas. And what happened was we ended up partnering with prime companies to teach skills like geospatial analysis to high schoolers in East St. Louis, and they loved it. I literally got a note from a kid that was like, the most exciting thing I learned today was azimuth. I was like, what? <laughs> like, wait, what? You were excited by that? Whoa. I mean, I cannot, like, I cannot read that email fast enough. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that high schoolers like geospatial terms? Okay, we need to do more of this. And so because we had the industry expertise, we then took that and we actually distilled that in partnership with another prime contractor for a NASCAR race in Talladega 
And all those boxes went to individuals who either worked at the prime company or who were students who were interested in car racing. And so it really, it really took off. And, you know, we, we put over 5,000 boxes in the hands of students last year. We're on track to do more of these things. And to me, it just proves that it's the content coupled with hands-on project-based exposure that's really exciting. And if you mix in DOD mission set, the students will just go wild for it. And that's what we're seeing. Well, and obviously you're seeing some day-to-day impact when you get those kinds of statements from kids who are so excited about the work you know, you've done. But any other sort of day-to-day impacts that you've seen from maybe some of the other roles that you've performed in that, that would get people excited about a career set like this? Yeah, I really want to invite people to share more about their journeys. One of the things that I've done early on was just kind of own the entire journey, right? Like the classes that I did well in, the classes that I didn't do well in, the things that I thought I did very well as a business leader, and the things that I thought that I could have done better and been public about it. Because by being public, you allow people to emulate you and to know that there is a path out there. I understand that there are restrictions as to what we can share and how we can share it, but it means so much to talk to a student or even to advise an early career professional on your journey and how you could suggest that they better navigate theirs. Sure. Well, Aisha, thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure to learn more about your journey and just the impact that you're having on younger minds and getting them so excited for these really cool careers across the government and across the cleared space. I I have to ask, it gives me anxiety thinking about going into space, but you may or may not at some point in the next year be traveling. How, how are you feeling about that? Like I said, it gives me anxiety thinking about it, leaving leaving the, the earth, but tell us. I'm definitely practicing that meditation and mindfulness I talked about with you earlier. I, um, I have been selected as a or- astronaut for Blue Origin, and I will be traveling to space on the New Shepard reusable vehicle which is exciting. I will be the sixth African-American woman to cross the Kármán line, which is recognized as the international boundary of space, and the first to travel to space with Blue Origin, which, given my journey, I never thought that I would be here. It also provides me every single day with motivation to step on those automatic negative thoughts and get out there and talk to people about engineering. Because the path that I took through STEM into the government and into private industry is really what is propelling this mission and my invitation to be part of this first for space history. Wow. Well, I'll be waving to you with my two feet on the ground. So I'm excited to see where, where it takes you next. I mean, you've had an incredible journey so far and... I really hope for listeners who do have some of that self-talk and imposter syndrome. I mean, even this chick going to space, 
crazy aerospace background. Sometimes she has it too. And so we're all human and you can be very successful. You just have to put your mind to it. For more information on NASA, on other space careers, you can visit news.clarencejobs.com. 